months or a few months ago, excuse me, we looked at the book of Exodus. And we talked a lot about that because of what our young people were doing with the Lads to Leaders program. And in Exodus chapter 1 and verse number 8, we read the words that there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. That wasn't a big deal to us. We didn't really think a lot about that because we're fixing to meet Moses. But when we think about the idea that there arose a new king over Egypt that did not know Joseph, there's a lot there because of what takes place in the end of the book of Genesis that we're going to be talking about this week. Now, we're going to spend the rest of the week talking about Joseph, so there's no need really to do that this morning, but we sort of wanted to set the stage. See what I did there? Set the stage so that you could think about what we're going to be talking about. So if you have your bulletin in front of you, you notice that we're going to be talking about Jacob. And we want to talk about some things between Jacob and Joseph. Now, it's also a little pertinent because today is Father's Day. And we want to say Happy Father's Day to any of you that are here with us that are fathers or grandfathers or grumps or pop- papas or anything in between. So uh, we're thankful for you and we look forward to encouraging you along the way. And we hope that you have a good day. And so the idea of Jacob and Joseph is a little pertinent to what we're going to talk about this morning. But we have four things. There's no PowerPoint, obviously, but I'll give you the words as we go through and fill it in, but to think about the idea of from Jacob to Joseph. The first thing we want to notice this morning is that he was a father. All of them will begin with the letter F, but he was a father. Now that sounds pretty obvious, but, but that's interesting for us to think about this morning again because of what today is. In Genesis chapter 32 and verses 20, excuse me, Genesis 35, verses 23 through 26, we meet the sons of Jacob, or the sons of Israel. Now, that's not the first place that we meet them, of course. They are introduced to us earlier as they are born, and we read some things about them. But in Genesis 35, we have a nice little list here of the sons of Jacob. And we include in that list Joseph. And so we know more about Joseph in some ways than we do about the others. But Jacob served maybe first and foremost as a father. And I think we can learn a few things about that this morning from him. First of all, now turn over to chapter 37 in verse number 3. Genesis 37 in verse number 3, we see that there was some love. Genesis 37 in verse number 3, we see that now Israel, that's Jacob, and they had the name change there, but Israel loved Joseph. Now, if we stop there, that's a fatherly quality. We understand that. Fathers are supposed to love their children. And so we can see from a fatherly perspective that love is a part of it. Now, we're going to come back to part of that verse in just a moment as it says, more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age. Notice the end of verse number three. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. So not only did he love him, but he gave him gifts. Now we all a lot of times associate a negative attitude with this, but I would caution you and just simply say that giving of gifts is not wrong. Now maybe there's an idea here that is wrong or an emotion or attitude behind it that is wrong, but the giving of gifts is not wrong. In fact, if you've ever looked at uh, Dr. Gary Chapman's book, is we talk about the five love languages, one of the languages of love that spouses speak to each other and even parents speak to their children is giving of gifts. So giving of gifts is not necessarily wrong, although there may be something else behind it. But the idea of Jacob showing love and even giving of gifts to Joseph is is something that a father would do. We can think about how fathers should be good at showing love. Sometimes it's included in giving gifts, and other times it may not be. Another passage there from chapter 37 is verse number 11. Genesis 37 and verse number 11. And I would 
caution you to look there because it carries on a little bit later. We'll see. It says, and his brothers envied him. This is after his dreams. And we're going to talk about that this week. But his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, that's not the only place that we read that particular phrase, kept the matter in mind. You may notice as well in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 51 that Mary, the mother of Jesus, kept some things in mind. This morning, we're not necessarily going to hammer fathers in particular in this lesson, but sometimes I would caution you as fathers and even as parents and grandparents to learn the lesson that, that sometimes we just give our children attention. Not too much attention, but we just keep things in mind. We keep them in our minds. Now, that may seem like a very obvious statement, but did you know of all the different ways of parenting that we've come up with today? One of the ones I'm more familiar with, I remember as I grew older and became a parent, was the idea of helicopter parenting. You remember helicopter parenting is the idea that you hover over your kids, even through college, and you kind of take care of them and watch over them. I didn't know there's lawnmower parenting, all right? And so that's that you go and you mow down a path for them, and you clear all the obstacles out of the way so that they never face any trouble. That's lawnmower parenting. I, I even heard there was free-range parenting. I only thought we had free-range chickens. I don't know, but uh, free-range parenting where you, you just let them go and they just see how it turns out. And I, as I see the smiles on your faces, we, we understand the, the humor in that because there's obviously grave danger in that with a lot of things if we just let children go to their own devices. So we've come up with all these different words to talk about parenting styles, but, but we see in Jacob that he, he kept Joseph in mind, that he kept these things that were going on in his mind, and that Mary did the same thing about Jesus. She kept the things in mind. We sometimes make parenting very difficult, and sometimes being a father is not very easy. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and other biblical fathers that we look at. We talk about Abraham and Isaac, and we talk about Jacob. We see it and many others, that there is great responsibility in father, being a father and in being a parent. And it should get our greatest care and concern and attention. But if we love our children and we give them attention and we give them the things they need, that's, that's a good start. Although this morning we don't have the time to go the rest of the way through it. If you've got your Bibles, look in John chapter 8 for just a moment. I think there's a principle here as well as we consider our children and looking over them. In John chapter 8, there's a discussion on fathers that's going on. If you were with us on Tuesday night at North Hamilton, Eric Owens did a wonderful job of sort of talking about this passage. But there's a discussion on fathers that's going on. In verses 42 through 45... Jesus says to them, even up before that, that they say, we're the sons of Abraham. And Jesus says, you're not showing it. And in verse 45, excuse me, 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. You see, I think there's a principle here when it comes to being a father that we can even learn from Jacob and other ones in the Bible. You see it later in John as well. Go over to John 15. John chapter 15 and verses 1 through about verse 8 there or so where Jesus talks about the vine and the branches. He says in verse number 5 of John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. We say it a different way. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. There's some truth to that. It's not 100% foolproof, but there's some truth to the idea of fathers and parents watching out for their young ones because they stay close to that over the years and they learn from that. And yes, Jacob, excuse me, Joseph learns some lessons from Jacob. Which brings us to our second point. If you've got your outline in front of you and you're feeling it out, the word is favoritism. The fatherly role sometimes includes favoritism. That's favor 
I, the letter I, and then tism there if you're filling it in. Favoritism. Because one of the things that sometimes learn from others in the Bible as they learn from their fathers is the bad things. The mistakes that are repeated. And as we think about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the things that we sometimes learn in life is that we don't learn sometimes from the past and the mistakes that are made. You see, Jacob showing favoritism to Joseph, and we read that, all right? Uh, you know, we can't say everything about Jacob, that he was just a terrible, horrible father, but of all the things we do read, one of the things we read is that he showed favoritism to Joseph. But where did Jacob get that? Well, he got it from his father and something that he had seen in the past. You've got your Bible open, you might go back to Genesis, Genesis chapter 29, in verses 17 through 18. Because first of all, from Joseph back to Jacob, when we think about Jacob, we see that Jacob loved Rachel more than his other three wives. Now there becomes an issue here with favoritism. In Genesis 29, 17 through 18, we see that Rachel was beautiful. She was beautiful of form. And he, or she was the one that he loved. And that created a problem, though, with this favoritism. Also, even before that, as a matter of fathers, and as we talk to our fathers and we look at this things, this idea of things being passed down, Jacob learned it from his father, did he not? Because we go all the way back to Isaac, and we think about the fact that in Genesis chapter 25, that Jacob's mother, Rebekah, loved him, while his father Isaac loved his brother Esau. So this idea of Jacob showing favoritism to Joseph actually begins to go back up the ladder to the other members of the family, and we see that it's being passed down. There's a negative trait here that is being passed down among the family. Favoritism causes many problems sometimes. We do it sometimes unintentionally. We don't necessarily mean to, but we show favoritism to certain people or certain things. And in fact, favoritism in the family can cause all kinds of problems. And many of you can probably speak to that. You can talk about a brother or a sister or a cousin where you saw a problem with favoritism being shown in the family. But you know what? God said it has no place in the church either. If you've got your Bible, turn over to James chapter 2. In the New Testament, the, the Bible, uh, the New Testament writers, and James in particular here, speaks about showing favoritism in the church because God says it doesn't belong there either. James chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves, and become, notice, judges with evil thoughts? We see a problem here with showing favoritism. Now, it happens to those that might come into our assembly that we don't know. It's the example that James gives here. But it happens even among the church, and it happens among family. But there is a problem when it comes to that. Even in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, in verse number 6, Paul says that God shows personal favoritism to no man. He shows, no, he shows personal favoritism to no man. As we think about Jacob and we think about the life of Joseph, the story begins. We meet Joseph as we'll do this evening here. We'll meet Joseph and there is a problem with partiality or there is a problem with favoritism. It's easy sometimes to beat up on these biblical fathers when they mess up. But at the same time, we should take a moment to learn from the life of Jacob and Joseph here, the idea of favoritism being a bad thing. Thirdly, this morning, if you're filling in your outline, from Jacob we learn an interesting lesson as well on feelings. 
feelings. Now, this doesn't necessarily connect Jacob and Joseph exactly uh, in a sense that he passes it down. But if you have your Bible, turn back to Genesis 37 one more time. As I said, we're trying not to trample too much on the story of Joseph because we will spend uh, detailed time each night looking at it. But in Genesis chapter 37, we have to talk a little bit about Joseph to learn from Jacob. Remember, and let's look in verses 31 through 35. The Bible says, So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. So you remember the occasion. The brothers are mad at him. He goes to find them, to check on them. They put him in the pit. They take him out of the pit in order to sell him to slavery. They kill the goat. They put the blood on the coat of many colors. And they take it to Jacob and they don't say anything. Really, other than do you know whose it is? They let him put the pieces together in his mind. And let me ask you a couple of questions. First of all, was Joseph dead? Joseph was not dead. Did Jacob feel as if Joseph was dead? Absolutely. There's a good biblical principle. And last Sunday morning, if you were with us, we talked about the fact that God does not change. We looked at some of the overarching principles in the Bible that remind us that God is the same and he does not change. And one of those is the idea and the biblical truth that we can learn from Jacob even this morning is that just because we feel something sometimes doesn't make it truth. Just because we feel something doesn't make it biblical truth. In Proverbs chapter 14, in verse number 12, the proverb writer, Proverbs 14, 12, says there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Sometimes we get caught up in our feelings, and there are feelings, and we're protective of them, and we feel really strongly about something. But we have to be careful, and we have to be cautious, because in our life, biblical truth, biblical truth has to come in somewhere. If we put our trust only in our feelings, and there's a lot of cute songs and, and there's a lot of cute quotes from movies and songs that make us talk about just trusting our feelings and going with our gut, but that's a dangerous world to live in because sometimes our feelings lead us in the wrong path. You know, my father-in-law is known for sometimes saying, he sings the song that we sometimes sing with our children, Jesus loves me, this I know, because I feel it real strongly in the pit of my stomach. That's not what the song says. Now, the song is not gospel truth either, but it gives us a good idea. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. Because sometimes that feeling in the pit of my stomach may not be the truth, but it may be the crystals that you ate on Friday night when Suzanne Chin brings them to game night, right? I mean, it may just be something that you ate that you mistake for feelings. Because if we trust our feelings, then we may be led down the wrong road. A couple of other passages from the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Paul writes about this similar idea of where we put our trust. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. Paul says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received 
the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, and we might even insert for our purposes this morning, not as your feelings, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The idea that sometimes, just because we feel something, does not make it truth is an important fact when it comes to the spiritual, or we might say religious world today. Because a lot of people put their trust in what they feel, or what they think, rather than in the Bible. We remember the words of Jesus, of course, in John 8, 32, about knowing the truth, and the truth making you free. There's, of course, the idea of the gospel the gospel setting us free, but, but even as we speak about truth, there's the idea that going back to the gospel, to the word of God, to the truth of God's word is what gives us freedom. It allows us to not be worried about what I think or what you think or what the elders think even or the preacher thinks or anybody thinks, but what God has to say on a particular matter. If you've been with us on Wednesday night, we've been looking at what we call some hot-button topics, some moral issues that, that sometimes we, we get a little squeamy about and we're unsure about what to say, about how we should handle that situation. When we go back to the authority of God's Word, it gives us comfort and it gives us peace. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. The way I worship, I know, because the Bible tells me so. How a person is saved, I know, because the Bible tells me so. And so on and so forth, we can go. When we think about turning back to the Word of God, Jacob mourned. Jacob was in tears. Jacob felt that Joseph was dead, but it didn't make him any more dead than he was in Egypt as he got there and all the other things that would come later. We can feel so strongly about things sometimes, but we have to be careful that we go back to truth. Now, certainly in that time, Jacob couldn't jump on Facebook and check on Joseph and see what was going on. He was going on simply the information he had, but yet we have to be very careful as we think about our feelings. Fourth and finally this morning, the last word we want to talk about is we see a few farewells, if you will. Farewell. Because as we think about from Jacob to Joseph and we think about all these things in the Old Testament, there are some farewells here in this story. Notice with me if you've got your Bible in Genesis chapter 49, there is a farewell. There is what we might call a poem, if you will. If you have a heading in your Bible, it may call it Jacob's last words. But he goes down through his sons here and he says a lot of different things. But a couple of points from the farewells that we read about here from Jacob to Joseph and in between the two of them there. First of all, in Genesis 49, in verses 8 through about verse 12, we read of a connection of God's promises from Abraham to Judah and on to the future. Again, see, we go back to the lesson last week, an unchanging God and the connection he makes all throughout the Bible. We see a connection in Genesis 49, verses 8 through 12. As Jacob is blessing Judah, he predicts that a king will come from the line of Judah who will command obedience of the nations. And it's interesting how God's scheme of redemption, which again, we talked about just a few months ago, God's scheme of redemption continues to sort of be sprinkled, if you will, all along the way from the Garden of Eden on forward into the New Testament as we meet Jesus and he gives his life on the cross. We see this scheme of redemption. And so when we think about the farewells that are here, as Jacob is dying, and many people, not many people, but some people get the chance to do this. We read about it often in the Bible. But Jacob has a chance to bless his sons. And he gives us here a, a connection to the promises of the future. 
I know it's hard sometimes to keep up with all those different connections and the prophecies and the promises, but here's one for you this morning. Jacob makes the connection between Judah and the line of Judah that will go on down as we think about the king who will come, who will command the obedience of the nations. But notice as well, if you've got your Bible there, Genesis chapter 50. As we set the stage for Joseph and we think about all that we're going to learn about this week. And again, let me take this moment to remind you, we've got classes for all ages. Our young people will be going off to the hallway and down to learn at their classes. But Brother Charles will be teaching in here for the adults. Uh, Brian and Carl and Don and several others will be in the, with the teens, ages grades 7 through 12. So we want you to come. So much to learn about this week about the life of Joseph. But one thing that we know as we think about farewells, and this is actually before Joseph's farewell, but Genesis chapter 50 beginning in verse number 19. The powerful phrase here that you probably know. Joseph says to his brothers, as they are concerned, as they are even scared, if you will, about what he's going to do or say, Joseph said to them, Genesis 50, 19, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is to this day, to save many people alive. Go on down to 21. Now therefore do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Beyond the farewells that we read about here, we get this passage of Joseph talking to his brothers. And this powerful message that we learn from Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob, and on forward to Joseph, as we think about the idea of everything that takes place in our life. And I can't promise you no pain. I can't promise you no suffering. I can't promise you that you'll be in the heat of the moment and you'll want to question God and shake your fist at Him and ask, why would this happen? How could I be in such a terrible position? But Joseph gives us words. Joseph puts words to that emotion that we can carry with us even in the year 2019. And as long as this earth stands... You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There may be people in your life who will do something that you say, you're being evil. You're trying to get at me. You're trying to cause problems. But God means it for good. When we think about the, even the farewells, Jacob and the reuniting of Jacob and Joseph, when we go back to the feelings for just a moment, you can see on down through that story, and we'll talk about it this week, but you see that as the brothers go to Egypt and then they're sent back and as they're talking among themselves and this is happening, that they remember. They remember the suffering of their father. They remember how terrible it is and they say, he won't let us have Benjamin because he doesn't want to lose someone else. And there's all these emotions that are stirred up. And so we consider the emotions that come forth as Jacob is reunited and he sees Joseph's face and he is comforted by that. And as he gives that blessing, that farewell, and even as we read very closely, because sometimes from our patriarchs, from those that we read about, there's a gap between the death. But very closely, Jacob dies, and we read about Joseph dying before we enter into Egypt and we meet Moses. But we see right there those powerful words. God meant it for good, even if you meant it for evil. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what it is that's bothering you. I don't know what you've been through. Many of you in many different ways. But we can oftentimes look at situations and recognize and learn from Jacob and to Joseph that God means things for good. Now there's more to it than just that. It's not this kind of mystical, spiritual thing, if you will, we just kind of throw out there. We need to be obedient. We need to follow after him. But if we will be faithful, he will be faithful to us, just as he was to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and even to Joseph. You know, from Genesis chapter 3 and onward, we see that man continues to mess things up. Man continues to cause problems. Man continues to fall short. 
Regardless of our condition, though, regardless of our failures, God is faithful and he is willing to forgive. The lessons that we can learn as humans, as human beings struggling here upon this earth, and even this morning, the lessons that we can learn as fathers, for those of you who are here this morning as fathers, the lessons that we can learn as Christians are almost endless as we think about the Bible. We are very, very excited this week to look at Joseph, to think about all that we can learn from him, to encourage our young people, even with a a set, with puppets, with games, with snacks. We're here to have a good time and enjoy our company, but hopefully to make application to our life. And this morning, as we conclude our lesson, we encourage you to come, to be a part of that, to think about what we can take from Jacob and even to Joseph and apply to our lives. One thing is that if we will be faithful to him, he will be faithful to us. This morning, maybe that begins for you by becoming a child of God, by understanding that relationship, by allowing him to be your father. Go back and read John chapter 8 and even John 15 in the passages we looked at and think about what it means to have God as your father. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to put on Christ in baptism, allowing his blood to wash away your sins so that you can become a child of God. The Lord can add you to his church and you can begin to live faithfully having God as your father. Maybe you're here and you've wandered away. We can talk about Joseph. We can talk about the prodigal son. We can go biblical example all down the line of what it means to turn your back on God. And maybe you're here this morning and you've done that and you know you stand in need of repentance, praying to God for forgiveness so that he can do that. And you can again walk in the light as he is in the light. We're thankful for that opportunity. The opportunity to be reunited. Just as we see it with the prodigal son, we see it with Jacob and Joseph. You have that same opportunity this morning with God. The question that we are about to sing is, why? Why wait? Why delay? It can be a wonderful day. It's going to be a wonderful day as we've already worshipped together and we think about tonight. But it can be made even more wonderful if someone would commit to either becoming a Christian or coming back to him. If you need to make a change, would you do so now as we stand together and as we sing?